Scott Bakula, and you're listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own, and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. You are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 73. Stand up. So, what did the cop say? Probably say you should get yourself a day job. (laughs) Hey, buddy, what did you do? Escape from a home for the comedically stunted or just the hopelessly stupid, huh? (laughs) Stay with me, will you, David? Uh, Yeah, well, this cop said that... Yeah, he was hauling you in. He was hauling me in, and and I was... Naked? Naked. Kid. <laughs> and uh, you, were, you were holding the sheep, and then you said, "Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy." How do you like that, ladies and gentlemen? Davy's got a new routine, and he forgot to tell me about it. So anyway, there I was, and this cop comes up and he says to me, "You know, you just can't stand around like that." And and I said, "No, no, no. It's okay because you see." It's sheep season. (laughs) I get it. I don't get this. Why would you pick tonight of all nights to come up on stage with us? It was obvious we were dying out there. You don't get this? And you, you! We were dying out there, and that is why I came up on stage. It was not the right moment. You have no sense of comedic timing. Mac hates me. Well, from the looks of things, Mac hates everybody. God! He is the most selfish, self-centered, egomaniac I've ever had the misfortune to meet in my life! Now ask her what she really thinks of the guy. How do you really feel about him? Oh, I'm crazy about him. I knew it. The name's DeGorio. Carlo DeGorio. Of the Las Vegas Gold and Sand. I'd like to make you an offer. Offer? You'll like this part, Sam. Two weeks at the Golden Sand in Vegas. You're on a real roller coaster here. What is going on here, Al? Do you believe these people are nuts? And that guy, DeGorio, I mean, he's right out of some movie or something. Well, he's very well connected with the family. And Ziggy says there's a 90.5% chance that he's the reason that the raging boulder disappears. I hate it when you say disappears. Well, he vanishes. Oh. Uh, May 2nd, 1959, McKay, Macklin McKay, uh, vanishes right after Parker, McKay, and Warsharsky uh, have their opening debut wait, 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 at the wait, showroom wait. in Las Vegas. Who's Warsharsky? Well, she's got to change her name. She... What happens? I don't know. He was never seen again. In Italian, we say he's probably sleeping with the fishes. But of course, there's no fishes in, in Las Vegas, so he's probably sleeping with the scorpions or sleeping with the cent- centipedes or sleeping with the, the rattlesnakes. I got the picture. Coyotes. I can't hey, listen to another word of this. You have to listen to many, many more words of this because we have to work on our act. act. What do you mean act? You're Prairie not dogs. Hey, everyone. I'm Christopher DeFilippis. I'm Allison Pregler. And I'm Matt Dale. And Matt, what are you doing with that sheep? Put it down. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's it's sheep season. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, if you couldn't tell, we're talking about the season four episode, Stand Up, in which Bob Saget acts like an unredeemable asshole throughout the entire hour of television. <laughs> Say it ain't so. This was written specifically for him, too, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, did I tip my hand a little too early? Uh, yeah, I don't mean to bring the show down, like, right away, but I can give my initial impressions first because they're just so easy. I did not like this episode. Allison, what did you think of stand-up? 
<laughs> Man, I I struggled with notes. <laughs> it's and I look, I full full disclosure here, I was not in a very good mood last night. So I'm sitting there watching this 50 stand up bullshit like ugh, not funny. <laughs> so not my favorite episode of Quantum Leap. Alison, your mood has nothing to do with it. It's not funny. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> they literally put a wah why in this episode. <laughs> the problem is, right, every other character he leaps into, you can fake whatever special skill he's got with trick effects or clever editing or clever writing. Comedy you cannot fake. And Deborah Pratt is not a comedian. Did she write this one? Yes. And I did next it's... to no research. <laughs> yeah. And Oh man, that's my big problem with this. They every other leap they give him, they they do something that you can fake through the magic of television. Comedy is funny or it's not, and this one isn't. Yeah, this has been a, a topic that has come up with uh, with me and other people in the past watching stuff where it's it's it seems it's not really accurate to say scripted comedy because most comedy scripted, but. Um, when you're scripting stand-up scenarios where everyone has to laugh at it, like it's always going to be weird and not, yeah, not hitting right. They did a clever thing in this, and I know we're jumping into the the big topic of the episode here already. I think, but they did a clever thing in this at one point, having that that montage of. Uh, stuff in the act that's meant to be funny but because it's only a montage you don't know the context so you just <laughs> you just have to kind of trust that it's probably very funny because everyone's laughing but then they do have whole sequences like that superman man on the street thing that you see and is clearly meant to be funny and, and, it's, and it's not it's just not you weren't, you weren't laughing at supergirl and superman and thinking about how they have sex because gosh supergirl supergirl and and i'm uh super man haha so tell me you 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 supers uh what's an average day like for you guys well, we usually like to start the day with a big heaping bowl of kryptonite cereal. Ha-ha! Oh, not kryptonite. That would kill them. Tell me this, though. How do super people uh, have, have sex? Sex. Kryptonite cereal! They got the kryptonite thing right, but they didn't realize that they were cousins. Probably not <laughs> having sex. <laughs> but, but it's okay, because they never really met when they were kids, right? Um... <laughs> Cut, cut that, cut that. <laughs> this is uh, going to turn into a Game of Thrones podcast, I guess. But I'm trying to find ways to justify this, because I actually do quite like this episode. It, it's just, it's unfortunate that it surrounds this whole concept that is so flawed, and the concept being you can leap him into a comedian and that'll be okay. Yeah, but you know what? The funny thing is, Matt, they did try to hedge with this, and mm. they said, Al says specifically, you are the singing part of a comedy duo. And yes. I guess it was another way to give Scott something to do that wasn't necessarily comedy, but then they leaned into sort of the Ronan Martin aesthetic they were trying to go for here. But that means the other two have to be funny, right? Yeah, yeah. they, they, <laughs> they said Scott wasn't the funny one, but it doesn't change the fact that Deborah had to write funny, whether she was writing it for Scott or someone else. Well, she had to write funny and she had to write 50 stand-up. And 50s stand-up is much different than the stand-up we know today. Even stand-up from the 90s, I think, doesn't hold up very well. A lot <laughs> of it's very crummy. And I suppose comedy is the thing that ages the worst, too. True. Um, so they got, like, two very good comedians to do um, the guest-starring roles in this, uh, Bob Saget and Amy Yazbeck. And I like them both. I really do. And I think this is probably closer to Bob Saget. A little bit cleaned up, but closer to his personality <laughs> than like Full House. He he reinvented himself as like a dirty comic later, so he that's sort of what he was like, I think. But um, you're only as good as the material you have to work with. Yeah. So I don't think they really had a lot to to try and elevate here. You would have thought, though, having Sagat on board, they would have allowed him to improvise a bit with the material. And I hope they didn't, because if some of that is Sagat material, that's even more disappointing. Maybe he did, and they just couldn't air it. <laughs> well, yeah, I yeah. could be. All right, fair enough. But you get into a question that I had, the chief question I had, especially when watching the comedy montages, because they just seem so loose and sloppy and mm. uninspired. 
were those scripted? You guys have all the scripts usually. Were those scripted or did it just say improv here? Well, those were all bits from the act they do later. Yeah. I understand. But were those bits in the script as we saw them performed on the stage? I think they were. Yeah, that's an over to you. I haven't checked that. That's a really good question. Yeah. Uh, no, I wouldn't say that they're improvised because they do the whole bit rehearsing them and then do that. If it was improvised just last minute, they wouldn't just, oh, we need to work that into these scenes or whatever. Mm, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've read the script. It's been a while, but I'm I'm pretty sure that was all in there. There's a big section in uh, Louis Chunovic's Quantum Leap book from the 90s about the making of this episode. And um, there is a mention that Stockwell uh, improvises one of the lines. And they actually, he, he speaks to Bob Saget, who confirms that the role was written for him. You would think if there was anything in Saget being allowed to improvise a bit, they would have mentioned that there, maybe. And they don't. So with, without the script to hand, as far as I'm concerned, that's that's all Deborah's work. But whoever's it is, it falls flat. It's unfortunate because, like you said, Allison, um, Amy Yazbek has great comedic timing. She was great in Wings. That's where I know her from. And Mel Robin Brooks Hood, even tapped her to be in, in Robin Hood, Men in Tights. Sure. Yeah. And Bob Saget's career speaks for itself. I didn't know that he reinvented himself after Full House to be a filthy comedian. I thought he was a filthy comedian that just happened to hit on like a TGI Friday show. I mean, I don't know what he w- what he was doing before Full House, but that was his image. And interestingly, Full House was like the biggest competitor for Quantum Leap at the time, too. So I, I guess that must have been why they, they tapped into Bob Saget, you know, to kind of <laughs> bring some people over, I guess. That is weird. Now, was Full House on opposite Quantum Leap when Bob Saget was starring on Quantum Leap? <laughs> Ooh, I mean, I guess I think it was unless they d- did more, uh, more scheduling switcheroonies. Yeah, that's true. I think Quantum Leap was on a different night every second to fifth week, right? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. I guess it's not too surprising to hear that Dean Stockwell improv some stuff because yeah. quite frequently he would. But uh, yeah, I guess when it comes to the comedy bits, especially like you want to keep what's in the script. Well, I, I will I will say this. Say what you will about Scott not being a comedian. I think Sheep Season is a funny punchline no matter what the setup. So it's <laughs> the only genuine laugh I had. I love his delivery of it. Sheep Season. Sheep Season. Oh, yeah. Him failing at comedy is funnier than the bits that are supposed to work. That's the thing. <laughs> I do love that that conversation he has with Al. Where he uh, he's like, I'm not I'm not funny though. I can't do this because I'm not funny. <laughs> and then Al's like, Do you know what the secret of comedy is? No, and I don't want to know. The secret of comedy no, is I don't care. If you timing. Just... How come you don't care? Because I'm not funny. You're not supposed to be funny. You're a scientist. Well, thank you for sharing that. <laughs> That's all very good. Um, just the actual stuff that like it. Yeah. it part of it too is like. You could write some really good material, but it's always going to come off pretty disingenuous when it's like the audience is supposed to laugh because it's supposed to be funny in the script. Yeah. And like you say, Alison, this is a problem with pretty much any time you have stand up in some kind of scripted situation. This is not unique to Quantum Leap, but it would have made me go into this episode if, if I'd have been more... Uh, aware of that kind of thing when I first saw it, just knowing that it was going to tank. I I wouldn't have given it a chance, but I I was young and foolish and thought, yes, this might be funny. (laughs) It's kind of cardboardy at sometimes. uh, Sometimes. (laughs) It aspires to cardboard. Yeah, sometimes it's a little bit cardboardy. Sometimes (laughs) it goes into like, it's so crummy it works. Like, um... When they're doing the practicing montage and they just have like Al reading a newspaper during it, like <laughs> it just feels like a visual dad joke, you know, like, oh, oh he's got a problem. Look, he's got he's got a newspaper. <laughs> he's reading the newspaper. <laughs> I think if that's where you're finding the humor, it says it all about this episode. No, it's, it's not good. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> well, here's the real issue with this. It, okay, so the comedy tanks. Like you said, Matt, maybe Deborah's not a comedian, yet she was trying to write as a comedy, trying to do a style of comedy that's now outmoded. But that's that's fine. I mean, yes, it was sort of the central theme, and they had to work with the gag and the leap-in and the gimmick of the leap-in. Oh, he's a stand-up mm. this week. What's he going to do? <laughs> but 
if that had been backed up with a script that was actually strong with likable characters, then this could have been a fine episode. Unfortunately, it wasn't. Like I said, Bob Saget was the most irredeemable, unlikable character. <laughs> his, his entire character motivation was to be an immature asshole throughout the yeah. whole thing. I mean, he had the emotional intelligence of a 12-year-old, yet we're supposed to be sympathetic to him. Because why? Because show? There's like... There's a duality going on here. There's some things I understand and there's other things that I don't with his character. The part about like self-sabotage and self-loathing. I get that. <laughs> don't we all? Don't we all? Yeah. <laughs> like I get that aspect of the character. And in a way, um, we see aspects of that in Al's character. You know, the whole like sabotage, like the relationships mm. before, you know, he before they can leave him, all this other stuff. Like you can do that in a way that you understand and you like them and all that. Uh, but they also have this message with this character, like being sexist and verbally abusive means love. <laughs> and fuck that noise. Yeah, no. yeah. And that points out the other problem, the the other huge problem I had besides besides the giant uh, 500 pound gorilla in the room, which we'll mm. get to. Um, <laughs> I think that poor Amy Yazbek had the most thankless role because you couldn't figure out what Frankie was supposed to be. Was she supposed to be like this scrappy, independent 50s gal? Or was she just this codependent doormat that just took whatever abuse this asshole was dishing out? Who are you going to come home to, Mac? <laughs> exactly. Why would you want him to come home at all? Every time Al said, bloop, 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 oh, he still dies. I was like, good. <laughs> good. <laughs> he was such a thin-skinned man-baby that he should have run for president. You're missing the point, Chris, that what Frankie wants in this situation doesn't matter. There's two men fighting over her, and, and the way it's scripted, that's all we care about. And and Frankie will just end up with whoever wins. That's that's it. And that's my big issue with this episode. It's weird too because her character is pushing so hard to be respected as a comedian. And like I get that they've been saying women aren't funny forever. I've gotten that own kind of <laughs> kind of response from people. I get it. Women can't be in the comedy act. All that, and she's try you know fighting for her independence. And yet a lot of it's just like you know. Who's she going to end up with? And yeah. who's he going to come home to? Like, she's going to be like a homemaker? Like, what is that all about? This has the opportunity to be such a good episode for feminism. And oh. it, it fails because of that relationship issue. If the focus of the episode hadn't been Bob Saget's character, it had been Amy Yazbek, and it had been about that, yes. that would have been such a great, unique perspective. You hardly ever see something like that in TV. And the other thing is, I mean, we'll get to it anyway, but um, Carlo DeGorio, oh, way, yo, oh, way, <laughs> the evil Italian rears his ugly head. She's got no agency in deciding who she wants to go to fucking dinner with. Yeah. He's just going to yeah. gorilla her into a date, and it's up to Bob Saget or Mac who can't even get through a set without punching an audience member or <laughs> Sam to rescue her. She can't just say, you know, I'm not really interested. And if you don't want us to go on, that's fine. She only takes initiative when uh, yet another woman has to attack Scott Bakula and make out with him against his will. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think about that. That scene, if it did anything, it reminded me so much of when Leia was trying to make Han jealous in Empire Strikes Back and mm -hmm. she just kisses Luke. For no reason, you know, just to say like, yeah, screw you. Yeah, I don't think she really had feelings for for his character. But no, not at all. It was just it was just to make the other one jealous. And I mean, you know, yeah, that's problematic as well. But at least she was taking some kind of initiative there. Mostly in that scene, I was just paying attention to the car. I was yeah, like, that Woody. yeah, I think they, they, they got a Woody, a Woody yeah. right? Yeah, like that had <laughs> that to have been neat. difficult to find even even by then. It's funny you mention that because when we talk about this stuff, we always try to start with what we liked. And I know we came right in, right out of the <laughs> gate with, oh my God, what did we just watch? But the fashions and the sense of place in this episode, I thought were amazing. They did it with just some minor touches that really worked to set the scene and to set the era. They did, and yeah. I think that Jean-Pierre had the most to do with that in this. I thought that all the fashions they wore really were just outstanding, especially the evening wear and the ties and everything that they were doing when they were in the nightclubs and, you know, during the acts. Yeah, I mostly agree with you. There is that small problem that one of Billie Jean's jackets shows yeah. up again. <laughs> I noticed that. 
Billy Jean from eight and a half months. Pregnant Billy Jean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's he's wearing a pregnant girl's jacket. It looks great on him. Uh, yeah, when he's in the diner, he's wearing the same jacket that he wore as Billy Jean when he was supposed to be a teenage girl. Yeah. It's <laughs> awesome. I love it. <laughs> it looks fine in isolation, but once you've spotted it, it's so off putting. Yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't spot it, so please yeah. don't take this part away from I'm me. I'm sorry. Cause you, no, you're right. The, the costuming in this is great. Um, I One thing I noticed, <laughs> Al's outfit in this, well, one of his outfits, he had a lot of them, but there was one he was wearing. It's this jacket that I know it's not a jean jacket, but it's designed kind of like one and it throws me off because Al is just not like a jean jacket person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's got like those kind of like... um pop-on buttons you know you like press them together and anyway it's just it's kind of weird i think it's like a suede jacket like in a teal color and he's wearing that and he's got um one of my favorite pins that he wears is a it's a shark in a bikini and sunglasses (laughs) very good i did not notice please send me an hd uh vid cap of that we are 20 minutes or so into the recording and we're already talking about Al's pins. This is uh, <laughs> this says a lot for this episode. You know, uh, the, I think the the physical comedy stuff worked more than the um than the scripted comedy stuff. Though I think maybe they needed like one or two passes. They might have been a little rushed in some parts. There's the fight scene that they're doing in the salad bar in the in the back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Scott Bakula gets thrown into like a face full of lettuce, and he's like spitting the lettuce out, and then he gets he gets pied in the face. <laughs> <laughs> The begin at the beginning of that scene, he's like they have a gag where he's punching a guy who's like too big, you know, he the punches and he doesn't react to it, like, oh no, before he throws him. And the first punch like happens when someone's going by and you don't see it, and so it almost doesn't register. So I think maybe the beginning needed a little more work, but the food in the face, very good. I also liked the fact that we had a flying noodle kick fail. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he grabs him by the leg, doesn't he? <laughs> He does. He does. Sam pulls out all the stops and he can't. I'm trying to remember what movie did we see that in or another TV show that I've probably seen a hundred times where the guy's punching the other guy in the stomach repeatedly and he just looks at him and oh, he looks at him like, like a... oh no, and then they grab him and like he throws him. Oh yeah, that's an old yeah. gag. <laughs> it seems like a very Indiana Jones thing to do, but I'm just thinking of the whole like he's got the whip and he just shoots something. Yeah. <laughs> If only it, it could have been that good. It'd be hilarious if Scumbag <laughs> just pulled out a gun and blasted him away. <laughs> You'd be like, why did it get so violent all of a sudden? <laughs> Violence was implied the whole time because apparently Carlo DeGorio doesn't care about admitting that he's going to murder somebody. He basically all but admits it. Flagrant. Yeah, flagrantly, flat out. You know that he's going to kill Mac and he just kind of smirks it off. And it's just like, what is it with mobsters and villains in general in Quantum Leap broadcasting the fact that they're going to kill you with zero consequence? It's something about the show from Honeymoon Express that annoyed me and it just keeps happening. It didn't even register with me this time around, the whole uh, evil Italian thing. It's just Italian (laughs) white noise at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Italian white noise. (laughs) oh we should make a band Uh. (laughs) i like that line i thought it was pretty clever the whole like yeah his body was found in 1982 1986 yeah yeah, they were i was sleeping with the scorpions sleeping with the prairie dogs he's trying to find something besides fishes that must be the line he improvised it felt like he just kept adding on to it But I mean, just with the whole Italian thing, I think even Deborah at this point, because Sam, what does Sam say? Then that guy, DeGorio, I mean, he's right out of some movie or something. Like, even the show is tired of the trope by now. It's just like, yeah, we get it. (laughs) It's it's just such, it's such a crutch. It's just so lazy. And I guess if you're going to have a heavy in a Vegas-themed show from the 60s, it would have to be the mob, because the mob ran and I guess still runs Vegas. Please don't come gunning for me. Maybe I should cut that. You know, evil Italians are everywhere, and they don't really care about if anybody knows whether they're going to bury you in the desert. So I should look over my shoulder, I'm thinking. Surely you're safe, Chris. It must be members of your own family, right? Yeah. No, well, actually, when you just, when Allison, when you said Italian white noise, you described me to a T. So. <laughs> I think, yeah, they always, in this show, like, it's always, like, 
no one can touch them so they just like it's just so obvious all the time and like they're just like out in the middle of the day doing crimes and i think the worst one was the one uh he again i keep thinking italian but it was supposed to be part of the greek mob but it was the same sort of idea in the uh her charm. Her charm, yeah. Casas, Casa, Casa, Casalos, or. Yeah, they like, they're like gunning them down in the neighborhood, and then people like come out and they're like looking at him with this gun, and he goes, like, Go back to bed and shoots the, <laughs> the sky. And it's like, What? How? How would you get away with this? And the other thing is uh, Joey, his boneheaded son, who was the heavy until the real heavy came in. The Wasn't heckler. Joey the name of the guy in. Uh... <laughs> Oh, no, that was the name of uh, the guy Sam Leap leapt into in Piano Man. It's like, hey, Joey. <laughs> Joey, hey, Joey. Until, yeah, he became so Italian at the end. Joey, Joey, Joey. <laughs> How you doing? But Joey is shooting his gun into the ceiling of the kitchen. I mean, aren't there like ballrooms or lounges oh or God. something above that maybe where you you could be actively murdering somebody? There's people dying upstairs. <laughs> and even the guy says, and Joey, it's not too bright to shoot off a gun in the club. Like, you think? <laughs> <laughs> I got this dress and I got my big breasted lady hanging out with me. You guys are engaged. Oh, congratulations. I guess I'm just not going to. Now we got to talk about that. We have to talk about that. I mean, for all the problems that this script had, the fact that a selfish, murdering scumbag who would impose himself upon a woman against her will. Because I'm Italian and I'm the boss and this is what we do. He is a fur, yo. All of a sudden, the guy who he literally was just going to murder says, oh, we're engaged. And then you got to wait a beat because how's this going to go? Congratulations. Hey, I'm going to pay for the wedding. <laughs> what in the actual fuck? <laughs> They've got a sense of honor, these Italians. They really don't. This episode's so stupid. They really don't. It's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest here. I'm not dancing around it. It's stupid. <laughs> oh, I just, yeah. I mean, well, the thing is, it, it just relies on so many two-dimensional elements that it can never really transcend the sum of its parts. And that's saying something because you have Scott Bakula who can make almost anything work. Like you said, Allison, you have two very talented, funny people in Amy Asbeck and Bob Saget, and they can't really do anything with it. And then the end of the episode is literally... Pie in the face. <laughs> and not Ow, even that wait, works because you can't be hit Al with a pie. Yeah. <laughs> They're both so dumb. <sighs> I don't know. The pie in the face thing is so nonsense. Like, both of them have to be incredibly dumb for this concept to work. <laughs> I'll give it the possibility that only one of them is dumb and Al is just playing up to it to trick Sam. Possibly. Sam's definitely dumb. Maybe they just thought it would be funny regardless, like how he pied him through the hologram. Right. I don't know. I, that, and that's the thing. I don't know. Sure. Okay. I d what? <laughs> it, ju it just, you know, they went for it and it didn't work. <laughs> yeah. I think part of the thing that really, that really bothers me about this episode, too, because it's so flimsy, um, the characters I don't think are as fleshed out as they could be. There's like these attempts there, but it's like there's just this disconnect. And I think this was around the point where Scott Bakula was really just being overworked and they were trying to write more scenes that didn't involve him. So there's a lot of scenes that are just with Amy Yazbek and Bob Saget. And I like both of them as actors and as comedians, but I just did not care in this episode. So all those scenes where it's just them, I'm like, oh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but again, it might have worked if you could gin up any amount of sympathy for Mac. And my problem was that I, I just couldn't. Even when he was trying to be sincere, like, quote, sincere, he was coming across as a petulant douchebag. It's just like, grow the fuck up. Do something that makes me want to root for you. <laughs> There's a part where he just runs out of the room like he's mad. Like, <laughs> yeah. don't look at me. <laughs> it reminded me of there was um there was a story Bob Saget told the, about Full House where he was there was uh, an episode where 
he's reading a note and he was talking about how he couldn't say this line because it was so ludicrous about how Uncle Jesse ran away. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, he's a grown ass man. He's like, <laughs> run out of the room. <laughs> What's wrong with this guy? Yeah. Um. Again, I, I how I, I got nothing. I got nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I could, you know, maybe engage you in dialogue on that point, but I can't. Um, so I will say this, aside from the fashions, there are a couple of things that I enjoyed about this episode. I like the idea of them being Borscht Belt comedians in the Catskills. I kind of wish they would have stayed in that setting instead of, you know, bringing it to the whole Vegas, bringing the whole mob thing into it, because that could have had a good historical context for them to work with and maybe, you know, run up against some vaudeville stuff or whatever. That's just me. When I think about that Borscht Belt stuff, I think about like the Marx Brothers and vaudeville and like Harpo Marx's biography, which I really liked reading, in which he talks about that scene. So it brought some good associations with that. There was a magnificent singer in the third act and they oh, spent yeah, a yeah. lot of time on her I thought she was fantastic. She was great. She was really pretty, too. And, you know, again, with that whole glam thing, that whole 60s lounge glam look, I'm sure that Jean-Pierre had a good time with that. And finally, Scott gets to sing. They ask me how I knew my true love was true. So I smile and say Something here inside Cannot be denied They did a whole recording of him doing that song, Smoke Gets In Your Eyes, which they used over, like, some montage they did for the crew or something that ended up, like, online at some point. Oh, that's nice. And it's funny because... That brought up another positive association with me because I was thinking smoke gets in your eyes and that's the platters. And then all of a sudden I just thought of Connie Lamata saying, my grandmother's platter. My grandmother's platter. (laughs) (laughs) And that made me think of the interview that I did with Laura Harrington. And she was a super cool person. So that gave me a good feeling. Wow, that's reaching. It was a stream of consciousness (laughs) moment, Matt. Okay, I'm not saying it's not ludicrous, but, you know, it all happened like that in my head. (laughs) I'm so glad stand up makes you so happy. I think they should have gone more madcap with it. Just go mm-hmm. over the top. Go crazy. Do like like chase scenes through the hallway Scooby-Doo style, yeah. you know? Just do something really over the top with it. Because like it's a already kind force. of corny anyway. So, yeah. yeah. Make it a little bit more farcical. I think that if they had maybe leaned into the corny more without all of the bad melodrama. Because I, I don't think it had the emotional resonance they thought it would. And so it leans so heavily on that. And it makes the, the comedy stuff sour because you're like, I don't really want to root for this guy. And Sam's the one going, like, I'm not really funny, and he kind of takes a back seat. It's not really about Sam learning to be funny. Like, during the stand-up bits, he's just sort of, like, there to support them, really. So, I don't know. I don't think they had a really good angle for this one. Yeah, and I'm trying to figure it out. Like, I know that these things get written very quickly, even though they break the season in the writer's room. I don't know if that's a new thing where they break an entire season and then go on from there, or if that was going on back then as well. But this, to me, has all of the earmarks of an episode that was rushed into production at the end of a season. Yeah. Like, we ju- we just need to get something on the air, and this is an idea that we were playing with, and um, Deborah, you're, you're the best writer we have. Just go and run with it. See what you can do with this. I think they had the idea, because uh, Full House was a competitor, to get a big name guest star and Bob Saget would be a good one to kind of bring people in from that. And they're like, well, he's a comedian, write a story about a comedian and do stand up stuff. And then that's, they sort of had to come up with an idea around it that never really fully baked in the oven. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess um, one, one other positive thing, a, a waitress who wasn't a jerk. Oh, they have a nice waitress. I don't even remember a waitress. Oh no, th- she's like, yeah, get out of here. Cause you're being weird. Super girl. Supergirl! Yes, 
clothes, Hoover. Hey, don't hey, tell hey, me. Hey, 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 hey. If you're going to do that weird, crazy stuff, you best give me my ketchup and do it elsewhere. That was the nice waitress? <laughs> She's like, quit quit talking into my ketchup and get out. <laughs> because she was really nice until he came in and was a total dick to everybody in her restaurant. That's true. She was just doing her job. <laughs> Can't blame her for that one. She was protecting, you know, truck driving men. The, the Joe Everyman. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> you know, my big takeaway from that scene, there was a water stain on the ceiling. <laughs> yeah, I like that. It gave a lot of authenticity. <laughs> the decoration in that place was very tacky. I was kind of into it. They were in Gallup, and I'm thinking Gallup, New Mexico. Thinking they got from the Catskills to Gallup, New Mexico in 10 hours. That's a hell of a hell of a thing on those back roads in a woody, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's halfway across the country. They slept the whole way, too. Made Sam do all the driving. Yeah, because he needed to talk to Al. <laughs> <laughs> Just, I don't know. I don't know, guys. Gosh. I'm trying to pull it together with this one. I'm already out of notes. I'm out of notes. We're just I, vamping now. <laughs> I, I've, I've got one more note here that... Um, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty much out of notes as well, but i I got one more note here, which is... Uh, I, I think this is an ongoing theme for me, which is Matt gets confused about references to women powdering their noses. <laughs> oh, did he? I know we talked about this a few weeks back, but I'm even more confused now. Because, like, what, in Moments to Live, Al's all, yeah, do, do they really powder their noses? I'm like, of course not. It's a euphemism for, you know, you know. Yeah. And then this week he says, oh, Oh, I'd like to help her powder her nose. And I'm like, ooh, I really hope he doesn't think that means the same thing I think it means. (laughs) (laughs) Because suddenly this episode's going down a whole different route. (laughs) What if, like, you know, someone gave him the perfect segue for, like, you know, a euphemism or whatever, and then he's just like, I'd like to stick my dick in that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if we need to cut that. It's <laughs> just completely no metaphor at all. <laughs> Al, you're out of them. Isn't that essentially what Al is saying most of the time? It's mostly what he's saying, safe for TV version. But it will be lovely to hear him actually say it. You think Dean Stock will ever throw one out like that? And they're like, we can't air this. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. I bet, you know, Bob Saget probably had some dirty stories on set. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, I'm glad to hear that it wasn't just me with the comedy, because I'll be honest with you. I was looking at that comedy routine and wondering if it was improvised, wondering if it was scripted. And I I was struck with the fact that if you're a comedian, you have to be fearless and get up there and just be willing to embarrass yourself painfully. And I didn't know if it's my own discomfort with feeling embarrassed for them that took me out of it because that's something I find very personally uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But then I think of the plastic bit and I say, no, it was just also painfully unfunny. <laughs> yeah. I'm just glad that I wasn't alone. Like it wasn't just me. No. It's not just what's going on inside of me. <laughs> yeah. I just keep going back to the fact that like there was like so many inter- interesting angles that they could have taken with this. Like I really think like if they'd focused on Amy Yazbek's character and her journey rather than like this crummy thing about this like asshole guy who he's just being an asshole because he loves her and like you know it's okay because it was really love all along. It just feels like he's just getting a pass. It doesn't make you want to root for anyone in the story. Like you can do better, Amy Asbeck. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you could do better, Frankie Wachowski. You got Moxie. Yeah. Well, that sounded like a final observation to me, Allison. Do you have anything else to add? I'll throw it to Matt. Otherwise, <laughs> no. Well, okay. One more thing I want to add. I don't hate this episode per se, but it's I would say in the bottom five. It's just I just don't really care about it that much. And what about you, Matt? Uh, yeah, it, it's it's an episode. Um, <laughs> I do think Saget's character is often quite believably written. We've all known battles like that, and that's probably the best thing I can say about that that whole relationship between the characters is I, I do find some of it quite plausible. It's just the angle that the script takes that irritates me and um 
I think Alison summed it up well. It's it's so close. There's so many things they could have done to have made this uh, a really good episode. And it's frustrating that it was so near yet so far. And I will concur with both of you on that. I, my notes here say going for a madcap romp with a heart, mm-hmm. but failed on just about every level. And I think, Allison, you probably nailed what would have made this script work, going from Frankie's point of view and maybe lean, leaning into the farce aspect of it would have done wonders for the script, but it wasn't for that. It was for Bob Saget. It was a showpiece for him. And I, this, I'm just learning from you guys. And unfortunately, it wasn't a very good showpiece for him. So not even his considerable talent could save it. So, uh, Matt, I think your size said it all when you started your <laughs> final. <laughs> <laughs> it was just so plaintive. Like, I wanted to like it. I really did. The elements were there to yeah. like it. But in, in the end, I just don't think it, it came together. So I agree with you, Allison. This is a bottom five episode. Have we gotten to the least? Oh, you said your least favorite episode was Dreams, right? Yeah, my least favorite is Dreams. I don't know if you guys, if you guys ever voiced your least favorite episodes or if they've come up yet or not. Mine hasn't come up yet, but I think you know what it is. I don't know if I know what it is, actually. I guess we'll find out. I don't, I don't either, and I can't wait to hear. Yeah, mine hasn't come up yet either, so... So, and here's the funny thing, both um, my favorite and my least favorite have come up. Allison's favorite has already come up, but her least hasn't yet. And we have yet to hear about both Matt's favorite and least favorite. Mm-hmm. So Ooh. we have all of this to look forward to. Ooh. But uh, I guess stand-up was just too blah to be anybody's least. Yeah. <laughs> it was too bad to even be a least favorite. Yeah, I can't, I'm not really mad at it. I just, I'm just <laughs> disappointed. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't actively annoy me. Well, it did at times. It did at times. Maybe you could make the podcast funnier by like adding in what was every once in a while, and then maybe, maybe it'll hit. <laughs> Be like, man, I hate this. <laughs> okay, I'll let you spice it up. I'll send you the file. <laughs> I don't think it's on us. If you want to go with the 50s hat comedy act routine, just get the big wooden cane and pull them off the stage. That's what this episode really needs. So, Okay, so one thing I wanted to say as far as like stand-up comedy and like Scott Bakula or Dean Stockwell, Scott Bakula, got to use that SNL knowledge, you know, for, for like live <laughs> performances and stuff. Um, but I can say from... <laughs> the Stephen Colbert segment, improv, not his strength. <laughs> but Dean Stockwell, I was just thinking about, he did do stand-up once. <laughs> in, um, did he really? Yeah, there's a, a show called Night at the Improv that they oh. used to do in like the 80s and 90s. And he did an episode. Um, I think it might have been around when Quantum Leap was starting. I think it was just after he lost the Oscar yeah. Uh, for uh, Married to the Mob. So it was around that time. And he was the host of it. So it was uh, the typical really bad, like, late 80s, early 90s stand-up. It had, like, um, David Spade in it before he was, like, mm-hmm. really big. Stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, Dean Stockwell did, like, a bit at the beginning, like like a little scripted comedy bit where he talked about uh, how, like, yeah, it's great just to be nominated. No, of course I wanted to get the Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> I think he made fun of Werewolf of Washington, too, so that was pretty good. Isn't that, like, your favorite show after Quantum Leap? No, Werewolf of Washington is a different, <laughs> a different thing. <laughs> Werewolf of Washington, I hope to God this comes up when we're doing our, like, leaps elsewhere. It was a werewolf movie that Dean Stockwell did. <laughs> now it will come up. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's kind of like a parody of, like, the Nixon administration. <laughs> oh, we are definitely doing that for Leaps Elsewhere. It is hilariously bad. (laughs) I think I was thinking of She-Wolf of London, wasn't I? Yes, yes. (laughs) She-Wolf of London and Werewolf of Washington, two very different werewolf properties. Speaking of leaps elsewhere, you might have seen in your feed, everybody who's listening, I released a sneak peek of our premiere episode of Leaps Elsewhere, which we put up on the Patreon Mm -hmm. site uh, just what, two or three days ago, right, guys? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, it was, of course, Scott's TV debut, I-Man, Allison's favorite, and uh, she, <laughs> she took the reins on that one, so. Took over. She took over. It was it was an AP joint. 
And uh, you did a great job. And I only hope that more people go and check it out. Uh, we'll be keeping up with uh, putting the sneak peeks for a little while, just so that you guys can get more of a flavor of what we're doing. But uh, I had a lot of fun on the leaps elsewhere. I had a ton of fun on the Fangent. And um, I think that uh, people are responding because we've gotten a few new patrons wow. since we've started. And people also responded to our call in the Tahotep episode to maybe post some new five-star reviews on uh, iTunes or what are the Apple podcasts these days. We got a new five-star review from a listener named Belinda Zuniga. Hey. Yeah. Thank you, Belinda. Woo, Belinda. Yay. Thank Great you. Great to hear from you. And uh, it's our first five-star review in a little while. All the rest of them are one stars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ultimate funny with your four stars. All right. Four stars is pretty darn good. I ain't ashamed of four stars. Me neither. We're three stars. Just you, me, and Matt, so. <laughs> Belinda's five star is only good if she actually was listening to this episode and, and didn't, like, accidentally post this about something else. Are, are, are we reasonably certain that she was posting about the QLP? She mentions Fangent. She mentions Curse of Tahotep by name. <laughs> okay, so. good. So so we're fairly sure she's not <laughs> just mixing up with a different podcast entirely. Fabulous. Thank you, Belinda. <laughs> if you're listening to Fate's Wide Wheel, we still have your back, Belinda. Um, but let me le read uh, what Belinda wrote. She wrote, Love this episode. I watched it on TV when I was young, and I have it on the DVD box set. I hope that you do more episodes like this and also some more bonus ones like Fangent. So look at that. We have a Fangent fan. Yay! And I have to think that that's based on the sneak peek that we gave you a few weeks ago on the first episode of Fangent. So a lot of good stuff going on over on Patreon and uh, another Fangent will be out shortly. So keep a watch. We'll give you a sneak peek of that one as well. And uh, thank you, Belinda. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Belinda also said that she loves the hosts that do the show with you. I'm assuming she's talking <laughs> yeah. about uh, me and Matt. Of uh, course. Thank you. We are the stars. She could be talking about me and Matt and referring to you when she says <laughs> the host that do. So I don't know. I didn't want to, you know, assume that she'd met me. But even though I'm the one that put out the call, it's only logical. <laughs> thank you, Belinda. And thank you for pointing it out, Allison. I just want to give us some credit here. <laughs> it's nice to be remembered. That's what I need. I need an ego boost. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Belinda. That's very nice. I uh, I greatly enjoy these reviews on iTunes, and yeah. it would be great if some more people would throw them our way. And by the way, I do want to mention, uh, it, we got docked that one star from Ultimate Funny because uh, <laughs> we weren't um, we weren't doing that many interviews anymore, and there might just be uh, some interviews uh, coming up. Now we're getting a lot more. I can guarantee at least two are already in the can, and you'll know who they are when we announce them. It's a sure thing, Ultimate Funny. But the show might be a little too long, so you're going to have to balance that out, brother. Or, mm -hmm. oh, anyway. <laughs> oh, was it also the, yeah, all right, yeah, the, the length too. was the, Not enough uh, well, interviews, and it was too long. You guys are so sensitive. If you want to be like Belinda, there are many ways that you can contact us here on the Quantum Leap Podcast. You can get us by phone at 707-847-6682. You can email us at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at quantumleappod. And you can always go the extra mile and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast where you'll get great bonus content like Fangent and Leaps Elsewhere and other projects yet to be named so we hope that we hear from you just remember that we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of the quantum leap podcast and speaking of upcoming episodes matt what's next thank god we're getting out of here we're leaping away from <laughs> bob saget and leaping for <laughs> lisa Oh, boy. 
Sleep release is uh, one of the uh, top episodes, isn't it? A lot of people like that episode. It's a, it's a very popular one. It's certainly got a lot of QL lore in it, and they're really pulling out all the stops. Where Can you believe we're getting to the end of season four already? Season oh, four man. finale. Crazy. Yeah. It's just crazy how quickly this season went. Now that I think about it, it seems like just yesterday we were talking about play ball. Yeah. Gosh. I am so excited that we're on the cusp of season five, which has some of the, has got some really meaty stuff to talk about, and uh, things gonna get good. Yeah, <laughs> but but Leap for Lisa is the thing about season five is that there's a gimmick in every episode, and Leap for Lisa is one of the typical season finales in that there's a gimmick there. So it's kind of it's leading us into season five quite nicely. I love gimmicks. I love gimmicks. <laughs> Me too. Yay. <laughs> Ooh, and I can't wait to talk to you guys about this one. I just want to talk about Roddy McDowell, so mm. I'm looking forward to that. Heck yeah. Well, until we're able to talk about Roddy and everything else, I have been Christopher DeFilippis. I've been Allison Pregler. And I've been Matt Dale. And we'll see you next time, everybody. Rimshot. Season. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap podcast, hosted by Allison, Matt, and Chris, with voice talent and contributions from Hayden McQueenie and Zoe Dean. Visit us at quantumleappodcast.com. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. The Quantum Leap podcast is edited by Albie, Christopher DeFilippis, and Allison Pregler. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap podcast is Albert Burge. Christopher DeFilippis and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. Morgan Felden is the producer. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners, or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. Please visit Baronspace.com for this and other amazing content. The Quantum Leap podcast is a Baronspace production. It's it's really bad news for the sheep when you think about it. <laughs> it just makes me think of, like, the... Um... In Blood Moon, he's like, oh, I hope the sheep are okay. They <laughs> call it quantum sheep. <laughs> Time for a new segment. Yeah. Quantum sheep. We All the sheep news. We're going to be like, guys, we've been looking it up. What's going on with the sheep? Oh, God. I'm going to stop my recording and put this one out of its misery. What's yeah. going on with Dolly? <laughs>